Good morning, church. Uh, I'm excited to be able to worship with you guys today. Thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll get things started and, and open the word together here in just a few moments. But before we do that, I just wanted to come and, and give you guys just a moment to uh, to sit down and get together. But also I wanted to run by you a, a few announcements and updates and things. First of all, just a reminder that what we do this morning and as we hear the word preached, this is meant to be a, a group activity. The same way that it would be as we gather corporately in the sanctuary, uh, we want to gather as a family under the roof for the purpose of worshiping together. God blesses that and it enriches his heart to see the hearts of, of several gathered together for the purpose of worship. So do that with your family or whoever is under your roof. Um, also, uh, just a reminder that at the end of our time this morning, we'll have discussion questions that we'll post. Feel free to, to use those. We, we, we encourage that. Talk about it over lunch or over supper or, or even just sitting down after the service if you guys want to have discussion over that. Uh, that's what those questions are for, so that you guys can grow together uh, in speaking about the Word, okay? Uh, so just be aware that those things are going on. A few updates and announcements. Uh, first of all, many of you are already being faithful in giving and mailing in checks to continue to faithfully support the church. Please continue to do that. We're still working on that online giving resource. We're one of like a thousand churches doing it apparently because they're putting us on delay because so many churches are trying to do the same thing and they're giving some urgency to those that are uh, really kind of financially in a difficult position. So uh, just be patient with us on that. We're working on uh, getting that set up. So please continue to give faithfully. Also, uh, if you want to have your name or your email added to our email list to make sure that you're informed on things that are going on uh, in the life of our church, just personal message our Facebook page or you can comment on the YouTube video. Uh, your your email address that works just as fine or you can text it to me or email it to me or whatever we just want to make sure that you're informed on whatever that looks like okay uh, so if you want to be added to our email list that's a way to do that also uh, don't forget that we have our midweek devotions on wednesday night at six o'clock where i come on facebook live and just share a brief devotion and so i hope that those have already been encouraging and enriching as well uh, on top of that we're doing that at six o'clock on wednesday nights on facebook live uh, the youth are also doing a Zoom call where they kind of face uh, face chat over the Zoom app, and James, brother James, has been has been including them in that and, and doing devotion with them. And so, if you have questions about that, just reach out to myself or to James, and we'll make sure and point you in the right direction about how to have your student uh, join in on that. Uh, also, just a reminder that just because we're separated and and, also, and that's a bummer, this is not the same thing as we want it to be in gathering together. Doesn't mean that we cease to be the church. Uh, be the, the hands and the feet of Jesus to those around you in your home. Love your neighbor like crazy. And listen, pray for one another and lift up each other in prayer. Shoot a text message of encouragement or just to check on people. A lot of people are lonely at this time. And so we want to be sensitive to that and to love one another well with the love of Jesus. Some of you guys have been wondering about this and wondering if our plans for Easter are going to be any different. Uh, now, originally we were planning on, on maybe doing uh, a couple of different things with Easter and even having some way that we could gather together and make that be safe and, and uh, amicable, but it doesn't look like we're going to be able to do that at this time. Uh, the situation, as you know, unfolds even day by day. It's unpredictable. And so, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to do what we originally intended and what we desired to do. Uh, we're going to do what we have been, which is worshiping together even still. Uh, but we'll do it in the same means that we have been over Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, and so we'll do this again next week at 10 a.m. just the same, okay? Uh, and we'll, we'll, we're going to try really hard to figure out ways that we can be creative in the future as the summer months kind of approach. Hopefully this won't last long, 
but we're preparing as if it's going to. So I wanted to make sure that you were updated on that. Uh, before we jump in and begin our time looking at the Word together today, I wanted to just uh, ask you to join me in a word of prayer and ask God to be with us as we join as a family and as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, as I mentioned this last week, that the only way that this time will be profitable for our souls is if God intervenes and acts with us, if we experience Him. And so we want to pray and ask God that this time would be uh, filling us up as He only can. All right? So let's pray together before we begin. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for Christ. Thank you that we have this way to gather together. Although it is distant, it is together. And we want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We are at your mercy. And Lord, you are a good and a just God. It's important that you're both. And so we want to be uh, mindful of that. We want to worship you for those things. Today, as we open the word, we pray a hand of your blessing on our time. I pray that this would be helpful for our spirit, for our soul, but also that we would stir one another up to love and good works. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Bible this morning, go ahead and open it to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21 is where we're going to be this morning. Now I realize that Numbers is probably a book that you don't frequent. It's a rarely visited book, but it's one that holds in it some really great truth for us this morning, and uh, hopefully we can examine that by the time that we're done today, okay? Uh, so Numbers chapter 21 is where we're going to be. You know, most of you already know this probably, but you may not, that the Bible was written originally in two different languages. The entire Old Testament is what we find in Hebrew. Uh, Hebrew is a, is a unique language. It looks like probably what you may assume sort of a Middle Eastern uh, script would look like, uh, whereas the New Testament was written in Greek. Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament, uh, or Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament, and Greek. But the book of Numbers is unique because we understand it as the book of Numbers, but it was, and it was named for the, the tribes and the armies of Israel that are numbered in the book of Numbers. Uh, by the way, the book of Numbers, I already am aware of this, and you probably are too, that it is known as a graveyard of many yearly Bible reading plans, and hopefully you haven't become subject to that. Uh, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's called something different. It's not called Numbers. In the Hebrew Bible, the book is called In the Wilderness, which I think is a much cooler title. I wish that that's what it said in our Bibles. But uh, it's not called Numbers in the Hebrew Bible. It's called In the Wilderness, which I think is a really neat title. Now, the reason I wanted to mention all that is because that really is pertinent to what we're going to talk about this morning in Numbers chapter 21, or In the Wilderness. I wanted to look at in the wilderness this morning because I think now as much as ever we can identify with the wilderness mentality. Right now, just in our situation where we are in life and even in this medium that we're using, the days are sort of dragging on. There are many variables that are beyond our control. Even this virus is an invisible variable and we have no idea what to expect the future may hold. We can't see light at the end of the tunnel even in some ways and the future is unknown. It feels like a modern day sort of wilderness. And so the question I wanted to examine today is simply this, where can hope be found and how should you respond to life in the wilderness? I think that Numbers or in the wilderness chapter 21 has something for us today, okay? So we're going to look at chapter 21 verses 4 through 9 
chapter 21 of Numbers, verses 4 through 9. And this is what God's word says. From Mount Hor they set out by, way to, by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he shall see it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now you may be wondering, what in the world does this have to say and how can we extract some things from this? We'll get there as we walk through the passage in just a moment. But first, I wanted to talk about the people in this narrative. The people had been through so much in their lifetimes. And this isn't mentioned in this passage, but they'd been wandering in the wilderness for quite some time. A total, it would be of 40 years, and they were nearing the end of those 40 years when this passage is uh, given to us. God had already done very much, though, and it's very evident that God had been in control this whole time, dating back to the beginning of these wilderness wanderings. And even before that, God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, were slaves. They were enslaved in a region in a nation called Egypt, and we know of the land of Egypt today. There were slaves in this place that were subject to things like hard labor, scarce resources. There were low lives of society in Egypt. They were treated like less than people. And yet God rescued them from Egypt. He appointed a man named Moses to be his ambassador of salvation. If you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt or, or the Charleston Heston uh, book, long time, movie long time ago, the, the Ten Commandments, you probably already know this, the let my people go. God pronounced plagues upon the region of Egypt. And so he rescued and freed miraculously his people from this oppressed people group. God rescued them. He saved them. Not only would he save them from the nation, Egypt's military would pursue them, and God saved them from that military pursuit as well. You know this because they crossed over the Red Sea miraculously on dry land when God intervened. After that, they were guided by a pillar of fire and smoke, again sent from the Lord, and they were even recipients of God's law etched in stone from Mount Sinai. Had God been there? Absolutely. He'd intervened. He had pronounced many miracles right in the midst of these people. And yet, we read very much about the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. They were constantly complaining about the conditions in the midst of their travels. They constantly complained about their food. In fact, God was giving them food on the ground each morning when they woke up, manna from heaven. He gave that to them graciously, miraculously. And yet their response was, we're tired of this nasty, worthless food. We want to go back to Egypt. They complained about lack of water, and so God gave them water from a rock. When he gave them his law, they were worshiping golden calves. 
In Numbers chapter 14, God had even brought them to the edge of the promised land, to the land of Canaan. He brought them there, and in their response to looking in and seeing the people that occupied the land, their response was, no way. There are giants in the land. God, we, you cannot overtake these people. And so God punished them. He sent them into a tailspin, turned them around, and said, you're not ready to go in yet. Punished them into a tailspin of wanderings until that generation would pass. But... God did not abandon them. What was the purpose of all this? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. The title of the message this morning is Purpose in Wilderness Appointments. I use the word appointments because God is sovereignly over this wilderness appointment. He is the one that's in control. And so there is a purpose in this wilderness appointment in the passage. And certainly God has a purpose for what we're going through right now. You know, throughout the Bible, God has a plan for the difficulties that he himself appoints. Not too long ago at Spring Hill, we went through the book of Jonah. And over and over, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the book of Jonah, that word appoint, God appointed. He appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. He appointed a big worm to eat this tree that provided shade for Jonah where the wind was scorching him. This word appointed appears over and over to remind the reader that God is the one that is sovereign over these circumstances. Why? Because he has a purpose in them. And if it was true of God's ancient people, I promise you that it is true of us, his current people, his church. So I want to look at two of those purposes this morning. The first one is this. The wilderness exposes idols. The wilderness exposes idols. This is very important, and I realize you may be writing down, but just listen to this one phrase. You were created to delight in God and be eternally satisfied in Him. I'm going to say it again. You were created to delight in God and to be eternally satisfied in Him. So as a result of that, idols or anything that takes place of God that, that becomes that delight or becomes that satisfaction. You see, idols are rarely loud and obvious barriers to your relationship with God. One of the quietest and most lethal idols that we, and more pertinently, that the people in this passage uh, become, is that, that we become satisfied in an expectation or an entitlement to a certain degree of physical comfort, which is exactly what's happening in this passage. And it's a very silent and quiet idol that we struggle with as well, to be satisfied in an expectation or an entitlement to a certain degree of physical comfort. And what happens is, when that comfort is taken away, it exposes a heart that has grown to, at times, treasure comfort in the place of treasuring Christ. We see this in our passage this morning. Look at verse 4. From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on the way. Okay, so this is the situation. Impatient is a, is a delicate word. It's really not as harsh as the word really is in its original language. But these people have become impatient, which is a very uh, grand understatement of what they had become. Which, let's just be honest, I mean, Part of that's fair, okay? They spent 40 years, that's longer than I've been alive, okay? They spent 40 years wandering aimlessly in the desert. It was hot, it was rugged terrain. This area even that is mentioned in verse four, Mount Hor, this is a place that was, uh, had, had sandstorms, it was subject to sandstorms and difficult circumstances and terrain just geographically. But most of all, the thing that is mentioned here that is the most frustrating 
is that they set out by the way to the Red Sea. Okay, when they left Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea over to the east, all right? Then they went from the Red Sea and eventually made their way to Canaan, which was to the north. But when they got to the Promised Land, to Canaan, they turned around. And it says that now in this passage, they're going by way of the Red Sea, okay? Listen, that's south. They're going in the opposite direction of Canaan, of the land that God is supposedly taking them to. Now, why would they grow impatient? Because they're going backwards. They're going backwards, and they've been at it for decades, and now they're once again seeing, what are we doing? And they grow impatient with God and impatient with his leadership, especially through the man Moses. Look at verse 5. And the people spoke against God. They fussed at him. And against Moses, this is what they said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Impatience. It becomes fussing, bickering, complaining at God and at Moses. They essentially say, you brought us out here to die of starvation. We're famished. Which, by the way, was maybe true in some ways, but you know, sometimes we exaggerate. I get very hungry. This morning I was very hungry already, and I think, man, I'm starving. There's food in my cabinet, okay? And I can eat. And when we get really hungry, we exaggerate that. Listen, these people were not starving. I just said, God gave them heavenly food. He gave them manna. He provided for them water. Were they starving? No, they were not. What they're meaning to say is what has already been said in Numbers chapter 11, and that is that it was not the food that was as delicious and as substantial in comparison with the heavy and tasty diet that they experienced in the land of Egypt. They're fussing. The removal of what brought them delight exposed in them the terms and conditions of their satisfaction. And when they found themselves in the wilderness, it became clear what was truly the object of their delight. And guess what? It wasn't God. Now, we aren't the Old Testament people of God in 40 years of wilderness, but we are His New Testament church, and we do find ourselves in a God-appointed time and place in which we have been removed from us many of the things that bring us delight. You know, I saw something on the internet that, that was like, there's a funny video about what they're going to do whenever uh, they start to be able to go to a restaurant and eat out again, and they were just scarfing down food. And that's a joking way of saying that we miss normalcy. We miss things like eating out, things like that that bring us delight. You may miss spending time with friends. You may miss the me time that you had while your children were supposed to be in school. You may miss things like sports. By the way, just wait until they start having to make difficult decisions about canceling college football season. That enjoyment is going to be put at stake. The light is going to be jeopardized. It's not that desiring succulent food was a bad thing for the Hebrews. It's that very clearly they were not ultimately delighted and satisfied in God. Those things aren't bad. Eating out, spending time with friends, me time, sports, those things aren't bad things. It's not that they're bad. It's simply that God's goodness is not tied to your expectations and your entitlements from Him. That's just not the way that it is. Church, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Is He enough for your delight, for your satisfaction? You've likely in these days, likely, 
been given more downtime. How much of that downtime has been given to Jesus? You've been given what sometimes even before all this went down, something that you've wanted, relaxation, some rest. How much of that has gone to showing Jesus that you love him? And we tie our purpose so much to our vacation or vocation or to our schooling that when those things are stripped away, we feel like the meaning of our lives have been put on hold. But hear me say this, that your purpose is the same in the classroom and in the office as it is in your home, and that is to worship Christ in all things and to bring people to Him. And you may not be surrounded by your classmates, and you may not be surrounded by your co-workers, but guess who you are surrounded by? Your family. Moms and dads, are you using this opportunity to really hunker down and point your children to Jesus? Are you taking advantage of the time? What a gift. We looked at a passage in our midweek devotion. It was Proverbs 17.3 just on Wednesday. The passage says this, The fiery crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. We talked about this, that what that passage means is that metals, silver and gold, they're purified through flame. You heat it up, you can knock out the impurities, and those things become purified because they're put through the test of fire. Church, through the fire and flames of today's trials, how is God purifying your heart? May this wilderness expose our idols and draw us near to Christ. The second purpose that I want you to see in wilderness appointments is this. The wilderness reveals hope and refuge. The wilderness reveals hope and refuge. We already looked at the problem of the people, but now we will see the response of the Lord. Okay, and This is kind of where the, the passage begins to climax. Right? Solution starts to come to play here. We've seen bickering, we've seen complaining, we've seen a problem, a situation, and now we're going to see God's response, which is judgment or discipline, but it's also for the purpose of restoration. Look at verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. Now that word fiery, I want to just highlight it for just a moment. I'm not really sure, and, and commentators sort of disagree on this, whether that means they were fiery in their venom, that they were, it was just a fiery venom, that it, it was harsh, that it was quick in, in killing its victim, or it could have been their color. I'm going to argue that that's a reference to their color because of what we're going to see later on when God asked Moses to build a fiery serpent, a bronze or a copper. Okay, so uh, probably the color. What, what, essentially what I want you to see is that God essentially releases a plague on the people, venomous snakes, serpents, and many people died because of their sin. But God's motivation in this judgment was not harm, it was discipline. It's the same thing for, for you and for me. You know, you either maybe have children or may have children or have had children that are now grown, but with children, discipline happens not to inflict harm, but to inflict discipline, which is to restore, to cause growth as a result of that. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't come with pain and with sadness and discouragement. I absolutely hate 
when I have to discipline my kids. And now I understand, oh, mom and dad would always say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. By the way, whenever they would say that, I'd say, are you crazy? Do you know what this belt feels like? Right, so just understand that discipline, now I understand what that means is that discipline hurts the discipliner. Now pain and suffering may, inflict, may be inflicted on the one that is being disciplined, but it is for their good. Pain and suffering may be, sure, sadness, discouragement, but that pain is not meant for harm. It is meant to bring about obedience. It's meant to bring about repentance. It's meant to bring about restored fellowship. Revisiting the analogy of purifying metals by fire. Essentially, God is providing a fiery trial. Going back to the color of these things. A fiery trial to purify his people, and most importantly, to draw them back to himself once again. And the result of this is what happens next. They run to God in repentant prayer. Look at verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you, Moses. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Okay, so this is a prayer to or asking Moses, go and pray for us, a prayer of confession, a mercy plea. Moses was their intercessor. Now the game has changed. We have been given Christ, and so our intercessor grants us access to God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 10. But what's happening here is that they're saying, Moses, you're the one that talks to God. Go and talk to him on our behalf and pray a prayer of confession and a plea for mercy. And in his mercy, God provides a way of salvation. Look at verses 8 and 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze, and maybe a copper serpent, and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. What happens here is that in his grace, God told Moses to construct this bronze or this copper serpent, again, likely to match the bright color of the serpents that had been released among the people. Moses would then set this high, this bright colored serpent, this, this piece of metal on a high pole and on a high place with the venom then coursing through the veins of the victims of God's just judgment. If they looked to the rescue solution provided by God, they would be healed of the death that was slowly or quickly overtaking them. Now hear me say this, church. There was nothing magic about that statue. It's just bronze or copper. Nothing magic intrinsically about the statue. It was just metal. The people weren't saved by laying their eyes on the statue. They were saved by their renewed faith in God to save them from the sting of death. That's what saved them. It wasn't the metal. It was renewed faith in God. And you may already see where I'm going with this. To some of you, this passage may sound a little familiar because two years ago when we were walking through the book of John, we hit John chapter 3. Jesus himself alluded to Numbers chapter 21 to illustrate the salvation that he came to bring. Listen to this in John 3 verses 14 and 15. It says this, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man himself be lifted up. Why? That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Listen, you are born into this world 
with a different sort of venom coursing through your veins. It's not from a snake. It's the venom of sin. The Bible tells us that the wages, the payment of sin that you and I have coursing through us is death itself. It's separation from a holy God. That is the venom that's coursing through our veins. And our judgment, our just judgment, is simply pending. And yet, in that same grace and mercy that we see in Numbers 21, God intervened. He provided a way of salvation. And that way of salvation wasn't a metal statue on a pole, but was a bloody Savior on a cross. Jesus saves. And what Jesus is essentially saying in this passage, John chapter 3, is that Moses called people to lay their eyes on a bronze serpent and extend their lives. I'm calling you to lay your eyes on a bloody Savior that you may always have life. As Israel's greatest problem in the wilderness was not a home, it was not food, it was not water. It was the sin that was coursing through their veins, the same that it is, of you and I, and the solution was simply this, restored faith in God. I'll revisit this. We find ourselves in a sort of wilderness. The days may drag on, variables may be beyond our control, we may not be able to see light at the end of the tunnel, and our futures may seem very uncertain. But your greatest enemy is not the economic crisis, it's not failing health, it's not disturbed education, it's not your suspended, perhaps, vocation, it's not your jeopardized bank account. Your greatest enemy is falling victim to the venomous tendencies that wage war on your soul. That is your greatest enemy. God appointed for his people a wilderness, not for harm, but for discipline. And so I'm going to revisit the title question. What is the purpose of this appointed wilderness? God has put you in the wilderness. Why? So that you may be purified by its flames. That you would now learn, with all the, the idols stripped away, what it looks like to exercise self-control over your social media practices. That God would teach you how to exercise self-control in the way that you treat the people under your own roof. To be a, a different kind of father or mother or spouse or son or daughter or friend. That God would sharpen you and purify your prayerfulness. Maybe teach you for the first time how valuable it is to teach your children why prayer is important in your household. Maybe to be teaching you to be patient for the destination. You talk about something that would be relevant to Old Testament Israel. To be patient for the destination. It's easy to feel hopeless. When's this thing going to end? But if we're patient in the destination, then in purifying us, we can trust that God is in control of the variables. That we can be grateful even right now for God's constant provision in what we're being given. Will you use this wilderness to become impatient, to complain, and to worry? Or will you see its purpose and call out to God in renewed faith 
and in rededicated repentance. Will you make him your highest delight today? Maybe you're in a different situation. Maybe the, the venom is especially palpable because you've never looked to the Son of Man lifted up at Calvary. That you find yourself listening to this message, and maybe this is your 1,000th message to hear, but perhaps now, for the first time, the venom and the sting of death are a little more palpable than they've ever been. And that you're realizing that you don't have a right standing with God because you've never really looked to the Son of Man for the salvation of your soul. If that's you today, and if you're feeling the sting of, of that sin, simply put, my call to you is a call to repentance and faith. It's the same call to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. God has you here for a reason, and it's not for harm. It's for love. And so for each of us that are listening to this message and preaching this message, why does God have us in the storm? Why does he have us in the wilderness? It's the same reason that those metals are heated up. It's so that he may purify us to draw us near to himself. Let's make that happen. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you are a holy and a good God. We thank you for Christ. We thank you that judgment is not poured out on us, but is poured out on the Son of God that was slain for us. Lord, we don't look to a, a metal statue for hope. We look to the Son of Man who is slain. I pray, Lord, that every person listening to this message now would come to a sense of worshipful repentance. Lord, that we renew that repentance and renew our faith in you. The wilderness can be scary because the variables are sure. They're mystifying to us. But Lord, help us to be mindful that they are far from that to you. You have appointed it, therefore you control it. Lord, help us to trust in you in all things, to exercise self-control and love to those around us, and to grow in godliness every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be posting the discussion questions at the end of this video, and, and as always, we want this to be a group exercise. We want you to be able to talk with the people in your life about the Word this morning. We pray that it's edifying and that God grows you and that... Uh, Everyone in your family and under your roof grows to be more like Jesus as a result. Um, the days are long and they're dragging on, as we said, but uh, our Lord is perfect and he loves us the same during all of this wilderness stuff as he did when we were able to gather in the building together. We long for that day again. We do. We long for that. But man, I'm thankful that we're able to do what we're doing now. Uh, I love you and uh, I look forward to ways that we can be together and have fellowship again. But in the meantime... If there's anything that you need, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Um, you probably have my phone number. You can send me a message on Facebook or reach out to me in any way that you can. Uh, the personal messages to Spring Hills page, I see those, okay? And so if I can pray for you in any way or meet any needs, uh, please don't hesitate to do that, okay? Um, and God is so wonderful, and I pray that the message today has blessed your heart. We'll see you next time.